Lewis and Clark, Daniel Boone, Grizzly Adams. The American wilderness was discovered and tamed by real men. These were men who marched headlong into the unknown without fear, knowing that they were leaving a legacy for generations to come. True, some were a little rough around the edges, but who has time for hygiene when you're tackling the westward expansion? It's been well over a hundred years since the last pioneer, but these American icons are a powerful reminder for us, especially on Father's Day, because the one thing they had in common, besides the hygiene thing, was that they always knew which way was true north. With either a compass or the stars to guide them, they always knew which was the way to progress and which was a step backward. So, inspired by these rugged, albeit gamey, early American heroes, we have some advice for today's fathers. Here it is. It's not all about you, but those following in your footsteps. If you're going to come to the fatherhood party, you need to stay around to help clean up the mess. Boys with absentee fathers are more likely to drop out of school, use drugs, and not give you an ugly tie on Father's Day. They need dads, dads who can teach them how to be men, stuff like throwing a ball, shaving correctly, giving a firm handshake, showing up, and the most important lesson, living for God. And girls without a meaningful attachment to a fatherly role model have a greater risk of criminal activity, sexual immorality, and they do worse in school. A good dad gives a girl a fighting chance and knowing what a good guy's supposed to look like instead of the first sweet-talking, self-centered loser that tries to sweep her off her feet. Being there, being a manly and godly presence in the lives of your kids is important. Anything less than that is a slap in the face to all men, especially those who have never had the chance to raise kids of their own. So, dads, like our pioneer fathers, Find your true north. Get your bearings and follow God by putting one foot in front of the other. Sure, you might have to endure nights of math homework you don't understand, or getting a makeover by your daughter in a color that's so not in your palate, or watching the free-for-all that is a boys' t-ball game. But you know what? Someday your kids are going to invite you to their high school graduation. You might have to wear an ugly tie, but you'll wear it proudly because you've earned it. There you go. That was uh, Tim Johnson, actually one of our board members here at the church, and his uh, five children. That's five up there, right? Two girls and three boys, right? There you go. How wonderful is that? Uh, Father's Day 2018, uh, its uh, message is entitled True North. Uh, True North is sometimes a compass, so I've read for this message can be a degree or half a degree sometime off. But that's why they say true north. No, we know that is true north. It is right on the money. If you're 600 yards out and you pull out your rifle, you're going to hit that bullseye on that target right smack in the middle. And so the reason all of this and our creative team got together weeks and weeks and weeks ago and uh, put all this together. And then we had, uh, for example, this big animal there um, that uh, 
they actually went up to Georgia to their big hunting lodge. There are a couple people here in the church, several that own hunting lodge, but these two have huge hunting lodges with that kind of stuff all through the inside of their lodge. And that's where I go, and Tim goes at least once or twice a year. And so they actually went up and retrieved a lot of that or that and a lot of the stuff. And then, of course, uh, all the stuff that's going on here. Uh, so uh, they did a good job putting it together. And let me say, at the end, all you men, uh, at the end, there is a boat out there that had, has dad's root beer. Now, early on, when the, before the first service, a group came in, they really got excited because they thought it was real beer. And uh, we said, no, we just, we don't do that here, you know. Uh, we don't do that here. Some people I know in the church do, but we don't encourage it. But that's not what it is. It's root beer. And then we have for the real man some beef jerky that we're just going to give away. It's yours. Enjoy it and just have a great, great, great day. And uh, so at the end of the service, uh, you can be able to do that. This message is no nonsense. This message uh, will shoot straight at us, I mean, right for the bullseye. It is uh, no shadow boxing, and it is because the destiny of our children and our families is extremely important. I had an individual minister friend who went through open heart surgery on Friday and was a four, four, five hour surgery replacing a, a valve uh, in the heart. And uh, in, in doing that, um, I, don't, I don't want the doctor or the nurse, if that happens to be me or a friend of mine or you, to be in there doing anything else other than paying attention to what's going on on replacing a valve in my heart. Somebody say, man, I don't, I, don't want, I don't want anything. I want you to just be true north, get the job done, and do it right. So we're going to talk about fathers and children and parents. We have, Sharon and I have nine, uh, nine uh, or we have three adult children. Thank God. They're all great individuals serving Jesus. And, and of course, uh, we have nine grandchildren and uh, two great-grandchildren, and we're grateful to God uh, for that. And we need children in our life. Uh, children will help kind of keep you true north, keep you balanced. Uh, children will teach you how to be unselfish. But we know that uh, a father image in the home is important. In a risk study in, uh, in the ghetto area of New York and Washington, D.C., it simply said that if there is a male figure in the home that is a reputable person, that that young person will go farther in education, farther in lifestyle, and be more positive than anybody else. I heard someone say several months ago, well, you know, Reverend, I, I'll tell you what, um, you know, I'm not going to force religion on my kids, and I'm not going to teach them about God if they find out, you know, whatever religion they want, or I'm not going to force them to go to church, and I'm, I'm going to let them find their own path. Let me tell you something. If that's the way you feel, you just assigned your kids to a destiny that will probably not be honorable to God. For the primary responsibility of men, ladies, don't get in the way on this. The primary responsibility for men is to be the spiritual leader and example in that house. Amen? Amen? Women assume it 
because men won't do it. True North. My job, I want to make a living. I want to provide food. I want to do that, all of that. Your first responsibility is to teach your children and to be an example to your spouse of what Jesus looked like in the flesh, in shoe leather, honoring God together. It's the most important part of a child's life. Dad, it's important that you do that. I want to share with you three reasons I think that's important, and then I'm going to get into what I call the Lord's Prayer. There's a card that has the lesson for today there. It's not the responsibility of the government, the school, uh, the church, your youth pastor. It is the responsibility of the parent and primarily the dad to influence the children for Jesus Christ. So I have a scripture. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, verse number 4, fathers do not exacerbate your children. It means don't set the standard so high that they are not able to meet it. Don't be an unpleasable dad driving the standard so high they can't reach it. If you're a parent, cut your kids some slack. Let them be a child. Let them grow. Teach them the way. Encourage them what it means to love Jesus. Encourage them to know what it means to pray. Encourage them what it means to honor God first. Let love and discipline join hands together. One individual said, I never knew when my dad was going to hug me or slug me. I just never knew. Whatever mood he was in, whether he was drunk or sober. So here's the scripture again. Fathers, do not exacerbate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. In training, I train a child in the way he should go. There are four stages in the life of a dad. Listen carefully. Don't miss this. First stage is when you were a small child and you believed in Santa Claus. The second stage is you grow up and now you don't believe in Santa Claus. And the third stage is when you as a dad, you are the Santa Claus. And the fourth stage is when you look like Santa Claus. <laughs> Four stages right there. Don't miss them. Those are training tools that will benefit you. Number two, it's the key to God's blessing, your family. I want God's blessing in my family, but there is a key. Hosea 4 verse 6, my people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Sir, a male, and you have a spouse, and you don't have children, be a godly example to her. Be a godly example. Live for Jesus. Teach her the power and the presence of prayer. Understand that families are falling apart. Do you know why? God's not first. Our country is falling apart in many ways because often God is not first. And thank God that we're learning some things right now in our nation that we should have never put Bibles and the Lord's Prayer and those things out of our schools. They ought to come back because we're finding they were a fabric that held us together. God will bless your children. Number three, give your kids a spiritual foundation, which is the secret to multifamily generations. Blessing. 
We say, people ask me from time to time, well, pastor, there are curses. How do you deal with curses from the grandfather and that curse that is in my family today? And here's what I want to tell you, Psalm 78, verse 5, God commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even children yet to be born, who in turn would tell their children. He just dealt with four generations. He said, instead of saying the curse, then somebody, for example, our forefathers who got saved, went to church, lived godly examples, then you teach your children, and then those children will teach theirs who've not even been born yet, and then those children who haven't been born will come out of the generation who will exactly lift up the name of Jesus Christ. It is the influence of being a Christian in future generations. For example, me, my dad was a Christian. I'm a Christian. My son Tim is a Christian. His son Grant is a Christian. Four generations. My wife Sharon's great-grandmother was a believer. Her mother was a believer. Sharon is a believer. Our daughters are believers. And our granddaughters are believers. The most important thing to us is not to have name recognition or popularity. I want to know that my kids, I want to know my grandkids, I want to know my great-granddad kids are getting the teaching that they know Jesus Christ. And if you say, what's John 3, 16, they can say, for God so loved the world. I don't want to say who was a home run hitter in a World Series game five years ago. I want to know, do you know it? Is it in your heart? That's our job as families and as parents. Come on, put your hands together. Future generations. So I'm going to use the Lord's Prayer this morning. I want to ask all of us to repeat it. Let's look at it. It should be on the screen. It's found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Would you pray it with me on three? One, two, three. Our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Matthew 6, Lord's Prayer. How do we get that? And I want to share with you several points in this brief message this morning. How I was able to take these points through study and through notes and through combination of others' contributions. Number one, God wants an intimate relationship with you. He wants an intimate relationship with me. And he wants an intimate relationship with your family. With your family. We know, of course, our Father is the part who art in heaven. Before Jesus taught us to say our Father, no one knew God as the Father. You see, the Bible tells us that we're not to pray our dictator, our master, our tyrant, or even our creator. He teaches us to pray, our Father. There's a loving, intimate relationship. Why? Because our Father is a Father that is consistent. He's not going to be here today and gone tomorrow. He is a caring Father. 
He is a capable father, and he's a close father as close as the air that you breathe. Some dads are apathetic. Everything else in the world seemingly matters to them except their kids. I'm on a job. I'm working 70 hours a week to put food on the table. Well, let me tell you something else. Filling your little child's belly up is one thing, but touching your child, having a relationship with that child, and teaching them about Jesus is far more important than working 70 and 75 hours a week to put food on the table. Oh, you don't like that, do you? It's the truth why God says, pay attention. 25% of white kids grew up without a dad. 50% of Hispanics grow up without the influence of a dad. 75% of our black children grew up without the presence of a dad. Families need an authority figure. And the lack of such a figure can be seen in today's society because suicide is rampant among young people. Drug abuse, alcoholism, sexual promiscuity are anemic among, or epidemic among teenagers today. An estimated in my study, 20 teens attempt to end their lives every 30 minutes. 685 teens become drug users every 30 minutes. 23 teenage girls have abortions every 30 minutes. More than 3 million American teenagers have been treated for alcoholism in recent years. 9,000 teenagers are killed each year while driving drunk. And it's no wonder that people are having a difficult time relating to God. Our Father says God is caring, God is close, He's consistent, and He is capable Children need to feel secure. Boundaries do that. You see, boundaries, do you know why they wrap little babies in those blankets? I always wondered and I found in this study. They take these newborn babies and wrap them in those blankets as tight as it can be. And in my study, I found out that child has been in the womb, now comes out, and they take the babies and wrap it tightly in that blanket to give that child to still the feeling, even though they're outside, the feeling of security, the feeling of love, the feeling of understanding, of course, and we swaddle them. Tightness gives a newborn baby a sense of security. Let me encourage you, your children need to feel that sense of security. And when a young child doesn't get that, she grows into her teen years, and guess what she's going to be searching with? The first person that comes along and says, I'm going to give you security, I'm going to give you love, I'm going to give you everything you want, etc., and she falls for that. She has nothing to compare to and say, your security is cheap. The security that I have is from a father and a mom that loved me, that wrapped me up, that cares about me. I'm not falling for that cheap stuff. Number two. God's name deserves my honor. You see, he represents, or his name represents his person, God. Represents his character, God, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. We name children today. Years and years and years ago, uh, parents, great, great, great grandparents had more than just one name. They had two or three. And if you had more than one kid, you had a name for each kid. You got to always get a bridge in there, get a name of parent or grandparent. And we parent. And we still do that today. But the reality in, in God's day, in Jesus' day, 
when they named someone, it meant something. It wasn't just a name. That name represented the character of that person. In other words, it was framed before that child could walk or talk. God's name means something. Jehovah Shalom means God is my peace. Jehovah Shalom means when I'm stressed out, I know God is there. Jehovah Jireh means God is my provider. He will take care of my needs and I will honor him. I will say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It means we recognize God is able to meet our deepest needs and every one of his names, if you study it, in the Bible suggests God's commitment to us. How important is his name being remembered and honored? It says in the Ten Commandments, don't murder and don't commit adultery. But right there in that group is don't take my name in vain. Don't do it. When we use God and then have an exclamation point like, oh my God, that's taking his name in vain. OMG, how many know what that means when you tweet and you text? Oh my God, that's taking his name in vain. Using God as an exclamation point. Gosh, gosh, I can't believe that's a knockoff word for God. In numerous movies, you hear actors say, God this, God that, God blank, 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 Jesus this, Jesus blank, blank, blank. And we still sit there. You say, well, it it doesn't really bother me. It's a movie. It ought to bother you. Someone take your mother's name in vain, it ought to rise up in you. Somebody takes your dad's name in vain, it ought to rise up in you. And something ought to rise up in you when you hear your heavenly father's name taken in vain because he died for you and shed his blood for you. Don't let that happen and don't allow your children to get lost in that. Teach your children. Hallowed revered is the name of God. Number three, God's purpose for me is part of a larger plan. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the will of God for you? What is the destiny you believe God? What you're doing right now your behavior, and your actions. And even if you're taking baby steps, do you know that that's leading you toward God's destiny for you and God's will? Do you seek his counsel for that? You see, children need to know that God has a bigger plan than where they are. Children ordinarily don't want to be the center of activity. You say, well, you don't know my kid. Let me give you an example. You're under a room and you're a stranger and you walk in somebody's house and there's a little three-year-old there. You know what often a three-year-old, and you're like, hey, how are you? you know what that kid will do? Run behind somebody's leg and just stand there and try to hide. They don't know you. They don't run out and say, oh, look at me and do a spin, you know, like they're a little ballerina or something. Most kids don't. And if they do, get them on America's Got Talent. Who knows? Be sure you tie it to the church if they win. How many understand? They don't because you understand. And then a little Miss Missus, little princess, the little princess, if she gets her way all the time, you'll raise an insecure child. 
Kids know instinctively there should be boundaries in their lives, but we need to teach them what those boundaries are, what it means to be secure and stable. And you teach your children what it means to be secure. They will not be self-centered and selfish and doomed for unhappiness. You see, this parenting thing, as Tim Johnson declared, is not some, oh, I got some kid over there. Yeah, that's my old lady over there. What are you teaching the young men in your family to call their mother your old lady? That's all right. He's my old man. If you love your children, spend some time with them. Teach them there was a generation that paid the price before you. And train them to be the generation that honors God after we're gone. And answer the questions so our children know, why am I here? Where did I come from? Where am I going? Does life have meaning? Is there significance in my life? Number four, God can meet all my needs. Here's the, here's the Lord's prayer for that. Give us today our daily bread. Do you know why? That's why we pray over our meals. That's why we take a moment, maybe join hands, maybe not, but it's important. Can we stop to pray? You say, well, you do that? Absolutely. Why not be a testimony? Why are you doing that? Because you said, on my own, I don't deserve this. On my own, I could be stricken and could not earn a living. The other day, I was uh, gassing up at Wawa. I'm doing a pretty good job. I had a lot on my mind, and I was thinking about, Lord, I got this, this, this to do. You know, Sunday's coming, et cetera. We got the creative team doing that. And, Lord, you know, we got this surgery. It's going to take three or four hours. I got to be there. And then, Lord, you know, I've got to have a nuclear stress test, and I got to get that done. I did it, of course, and blew the treadmill up. I mean, I smoked that thing. They had to go get a new one before I was done with it. Well, you say, what were the results? They said, I have a pure heart, a clean heart. Might shock some of you. But a car pulled up on the pump on the other side. Opened the door. I looked around the pump. I said, what in the world is she doing? She's taking a wheelchair out from the back. Took the wheelchair out, brought it out the door set it on the ground. The wheels were not on it. She reached in and held it, got one of the wheels, snapped it on. I'm standing there in amazement. And I mean, the Holy Spirit's whipping me. You were complaining? You see what she has to go through just to get gas? She got the other wheel. She put it on. Then she pulled the wheelchair over. And then she had to squirm. She reached her hand, moved her leg, moved this leg. Then she got it positioned right. And I'm thinking, God, I hope she makes it. She lifts up. She pushes with her arms and got in the wheelchair, had to move her legs constantly to get in. And then finally I said, boy, you know, you did a great job. She said, thank you. I do this a lot of times a day. I looked at her car seat. The car was a nice car, but her car seat was worn to a frazzle because of her having pulling the leg, pulling this leg. And I thought, God, how grateful we ought to be. 
it takes something like that sometime in our lives to wake us up and say, wow, how blessed are we? Part of parenting is creating the opportunities to say, children, as we pray over this meal, we don't, he gives us our daily bread. He didn't say annual bread, monthly bread, every other week bread. It says daily bread. And in the path of parenting, our goal is to raise our children to be initially, they're dependent upon us. Then we train them, they become independent of us. And then we train them to become dependent upon God. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what it's important because we are dependent upon God. Dependent upon God. The antidote to worry is provision. If you've got everything in the world that you need, you don't have to worry. And in God, what we teach is we have everything in Jesus Christ, and there is no need we're ever going to have, but what God is not going to be there and help us through. Number five, God forgives me, so I forgive others. Forgiving. I'm sorry. You hear that in marriage? Teach your children. By saying that to your spouse, I'm sorry, and then respond. Well, you're forgiven. I'm sorry too. But you know what often happens? Hey, I'm 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 so sorry. I said I'm sorry. I'm said I'm sorry. Yeah, but I don't easily forgive. I gotta have time. I gotta have time to forgive. <laughs> and little Buzz and little Susie's over there watching what it looks like to forgive. That's not God's will. As freely as you have been forgiven, we are to forgive. And when we fail to forgive, here are two emotions that we have. One is guilt, and the other is resentment. We feel guilty about what we forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we have that emotion of guilt. Guilt because others that we have done things to are wronged and whatever the case we haven't said hey i forgive you or individuals have done things to us we have sinned and and we feel like they've never said i'm sorry to me the bible says if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us we need to teach our children how to ask for forgiveness and how to give it We ask forgiveness and how to give it. Practice it. I'm sure that in your marriage, there's plenty of opportunity for you to rehearse forgiveness. Amen? Children's biggest problem in life is not going to be financial, intellectual, or some other area. Let me tell you the biggest problem is going to be relational. The biggest problem is relational early on. How do I get along with everybody? How do I get along with my brothers and sisters? How do, I, how do I get along with my spouse? Marriage is something, my friend, that is a practice. Nobody has it down. You all with me? Nobody has it down. You be married. Sure and I'll be married 50 years this coming July. I don't have it down yet. I don't. She'll tell you that. You're still learning. 
And my response, he's still working on me. Hello? Number six, God will help me do what's right. I'm not going to ask the hands of you that you know that what you should have done would have been the right thing to do, but you didn't do it. Hello? Oh, I know that most of you are perfect, you know, but ever been a time in your life you knew what to do, but you didn't do it? Well, here's what the Bible says. God will help me do what's right. Lead us into temptation. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Are we all guilty? Yeah. God's protection, not as his provision, his pardon, his power, but in his protection is found his ability to lead us not into temptation. God doesn't just expect us to do what right, what's right. He empowers us. Well, the devil made me do it. Did he? What's his name? What's her name? The devil made me do it. You see, he doesn't set the standard and say, hey, you shouldn't sin, and then you are on your own. Figure it out any way you want to. He says, hey, if you trust me, I will give you the strength to do what's right and do when it's right. And when you don't do what's right, what do you do? You ask God to forgive you and give you help. John 1 John 2 verse 15 tells us the three basic things that we wrestle with. And here they are, 1 John 2 verse 15. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life or passion, possession, and position. Those are the three areas. The lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. Hello? The lust of the eyes. Well, I told, you know, I'm willing to give up one eye. No. The pride of life. In other words, I want to have more fun. I want to get more. I want to be idolized. I want passion, position, possession. And our culture says, if it feels good, do it. Have fun at any cost. You only got one life to live, man. Wow, unbelievable. There's a song. Here it is. You can help me with it. Here's, here's the lyric. If loving you is wrong. Y'all listen to that stuff? <laughs> Who sings that song? Not George Beverly Shea. Hello. If loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. So you get some young man, 17, 18 years of age. He's got a little redneck going on. He's got a little lassie. My Lord, have mercy. She is good looking and shapely. He turns on that country music. He's got big plans for this evening because it's Friday and he's got money in his pocket. And she has goo-goo eyes over him. And all of a sudden, the devil puts on the radio, if loving you is wrong, I don't want to be right. Mm, something goes up and down his spine. 
Does anybody have an imagination out there? Yep, 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 yep. Then there's the pride of life, which is ego, meaning I want status, sex, salary, pleasure, possessions, position. You see, it's the temptation to feel, the temptation to have, the temptation to be. Temptation says, I don't really need God in my life unless I make a decision to say yes or to help me out of a tight situation. So let's take a look at 1 John 2, 15 and 16 in its entirety. Don't love this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you don't have the love of the Father within. For the world offers only the lust for physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see, and the pride of life. These are not from the Father. They are from Disney World. <laughs> of the world. Does he help us? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. If you love alcohol and you're trying to quit, don't go down to the Shazam bar and sit at the counter just to eat pretzels. How many know what I'm talking about? If you've got the propensity that you can't hold the temptation from having sex, Don't drive in the shady place. Hello? Don't drive into the shady place. Turn the music up. Hello? You're just luring yourself into a challenge. Here's what. This is yard talk. I want to get a little bit of that in. You can't stop the birds from flying overhead. But you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. You with me? And I've seen some heads of hair that I thought would make a perfect nest. You ever seen them? Yeah. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. So the devil made me do it was just trashed. Number seven, God will protect me from evil. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We understand the world. Do you think the world out there is getting safer? And less evil, I think the world is getting less safe and less evil or more evil than ever. It's harder today 
to raise my grandchildren than it was my children because the world is out. more on the internet, more challenges there that they're open to. We understand that evil is there. Evil comes right into your house. If your child has a, has a, a phone, you know, a, a cell phone, and you have internet process or internet capability of it, hey, let me just tell you, check your kid's cell phone. Check your kid's cell phone at least once a week. And then not only that, get on the internet yourself and learn how to discover some of the icons that are there where they hide stuff under it because your kid is savvy on that thing and you need to understand, my friend. Don't dare give it to them and say, oh, I trust my kid. Sure, you trust them. Trust them, but also be a standard barrier so they know if I get there, my dad is going to get a hold of my cell phone by the end of this week and I'm going to be in more trouble than I can ever imagine. You with me? That's parroting. That's parroting. Why should you do that? Because they're your kids. Some of you remember how sneaky you were. It ought to scare the devil out of you. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. God, I can't go where they're at. I can't be with them at school. I don't, I want to, but I don't need to go on their dates. What do you do? Deliver us from evil. You pray for them. You pray. Every, you, your prayers as a parent, your prayer as a grandparent has more power than you know more power. Don't let your son say, well, boys will be boys. You know, they, they all have that testosterone and all that. You know, they're going to, don't you dare say that. You're giving him a license to say, well, let's just try it out. Don't you dare do that. You say, son, let me tell you something. Honor God with everything that you have. Be blessed. Have favor. And then if something does happen, you forgive and you move forward and you love. Somebody talk back to me. What I'm trying to suggest to you, you have the power hour to pray. So here's how it goes in my house with Sharon and me. God, we pray that you'll touch Sherry and Dwayne. You'll touch Tori, that you'll touch Nick, that you'll touch Dylan, that you'll touch and minister, God, to Ben. We pray for, for Lori and Wayne and for Annalise and Sidbell. We pray for Tim and we pray for Kelly. We pray for Colby. We pray for Brock. We pray that you'll minister and meet their every need for Taylor, God. We pray for Grant and Brittany. We pray that you'll touch them, Jesus, and meet their every need. You say, well, that sounds like repetition. You better believe it, my friend, but I believe that when you mention it, God's hand is upon them and protects them and guides them. Your prayer matters. Keep them from temptation. Help them in Jesus' name. And when we do, God protects them finally. There's more to life than the here and now. You agree? More to life than the here and now, but I like things happening now. How about you? That's right. If I'm going to wait 30 minutes on a meal and I order in a restaurant, I want it to be hot. I'm a restaurant freak. I want French fries, and I, I had some Friday night, just a few. When I ordered them, I said, now listen, I'm going to order the French fries. I don't want them refried because I know what they look like when you refry them. I don't want them unfried. I want them fresh fried. And let me explain to you what that means. You go to the bag that's not been fried yet. 
You put them in the basket and you drop them in the grease that was changed a day or so ago. <laughs> and when you bring them out, put them on the plate and I want them when I taste them to burn my tongue. She said, wow, I never heard that before. I said, you will if I come back. She brought the fries out, and she said, that'll burn your tongue. I said, let me see. I said, well, it's close. That's good. Sharon said, what did she mean by that? I said, hot fries. It's hot fries. Well, I want it now, and I want it right. Anybody else with me? How many of you think when the drive-thru has five cars, five cars long, that God gives you permission to butt the head of every other car, go right on through, God, because my schedule's more important than theirs. Huh? Well, we'd like to think that, wouldn't we? But oh, no, because we're Christians. We mean, but we want microwave. We want here and now. There's very little long-term thinking. One of our great challenges in our society today is short-term thinking and the inability for we have delayed gratification. I want it, and I want it now. I'm going to live within my means even if I have to charge it. And we learn in our financial classes that it's irresponsible to buy things you don't need with money you don't have. Hello? It's now. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We need to teach our children that this life is not all that there is. They'll spend more of their life on the other side in eternity than right here. They get 80 years, basically 70 or 80 years here. And if you've reached that, you're living on borrowed time. Could happen any day. So live right because after you die, there are trillion and trillion and trillion of years that you're going to live. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So listen, live your life today like you're living to go to heaven. The power and the glory. So let me end. Here we go. I will give you my presence, our Father in heaven. I'll give you my person, hallowed be thy name and my character. I'll give you my plan and my purpose. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'll give you my provision. Give us this day our daily bread. I'll give you my pardon. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I will give you my power. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I will give you my peace, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So here's what happened. You have the notes there. Because I know preaching a message like this, it is true. Lay a block, put cement on it, lay another block, put cement, lay another block. It's not super exciting. But there are a lot of God-anointed points in this message that if you pay attention at all, it will change your life and your family. And the notes will enable you to remember what was said. And I would encourage you later, pull this message down. 
Listen to it with your children. Let it be a teaching point. Because my friend, our future generation, and what they know about Jesus is going to matter more than you and I could ever imagine. Amen? Would you stand? Let's give the Lord honor and give him a clap offering. Would you do that? For those of you who might be listening online and those of you here, I want to ask you to take a moment. Just going to kind of wait. Don't want any moving around. We want to honor Jesus. You may not know the Lord. You might have strayed and you haven't asked forgiveness. You may be living a half-hearted lifestyle. There's no room in your life to come to church and say you're a believer and then go out there and use foul language. No room in your life for that. No room in your life to go out there and just knowingly sin all the time as if God doesn't exist. And when somebody in your family is facing death just like that, you become super spiritual. All of us have faults. All of us have failures. All of us have fallen into temptation. Everybody has sinned. But may at this moment, may we determine to allow Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit to come in and help us to be better followers of Christ. And you men, you may not accept it. I want you to know I'm the boss at my house. Really? Yes, sir. My old lady does what I tell her. I bet if she went to a counselor and was able to open up without fear of retribution, she would tell that counselor how afraid she is and how insecure and unappreciated she is. That's not the kind of woman that you want to remember you and your marriage. Don't let your children grow up and be young men and women say, I hate my old man. I hate my mother. Et cetera, et cetera. This morning, God can do amazing things. So would you repeat this prayer, everyone? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I have sinned. I have, sinned. I have, failed. I have failed. And I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. But, today, but today, I'm humbling myself, I'm humbling myself and asking for, forgiveness. asking for forgiveness. Come into my heart. Into my heart. Purify, my mind, purify my mind. Purify my spirit. Purify my spirit. And help me, help me with my temptation. my temptation. You said you would help me. Help so, me. I so I am trusting you. Today, Today I'm going to follow you, to follow you. With, great with great intention. I'm going to follow you, to follow with, you. All with all of my heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Name I pray. Amen. Amen. God is good. If you need prayer in your body, you need prayer for some reason or another, you need prayer for a family member. 
one of your children. You slip on down here. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it and you said, I just need to come to the altar, you come on. We're going to believe God for that. We're going to sing this song through once. Then I'll give the benediction and some instruction. And we'll let you go enjoy yourself. But please stay with us until we're finished here in just a moment. Here we go.